to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning again and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. I want you to know that we are still taking signups for the RPC Golf Tournament, which is coming up on Monday, September 18th. It's going to be at Brookfield Country Club. We're going to have a great time, raise a ton of money for our mission partners. If you want to sponsor or play, go to the church website. All the info is there. We'd love to have you be a part of it. Also, I want you to mark your calendars for next Sunday. It's going to be Labor Day weekend. We have one service, 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. All right, so I just want you to all know that. So 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary next Sunday. And Lindsay did a fantastic job preaching on the fruit of the spirit of joy, kind of wrestling with what does it mean to have joy amidst grief and how we can continually experience that fruit of the spirit of joy. I want you to know that on Tuesdays following uh, the sermon, we usually, I do, usually it's me who does a conversation with another pastor about the themes of that Sunday's sermon. And some people have told me, uh, they said, you know, Jeff, I, I actually get more out of those conversations than I do the sermon. I was like, did you have to say it like that? <laughs> anyway, a lot of people are really loving it. You can go to the church website. It's on our podcast feed or on the website and check it out. Today, we're going to continue looking at the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to look at peace. Our text comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And I'm going to talk a little bit about anxiety today. And when I do, I'm talking about the existential, spiritual, theological anxiety. I'm not talking about the kinds of anxiety that require help from mental health professionals or special treatment. I want to be really careful and clear in highlighting that fact. Today's passage comes from Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. Let us open our hearts, our minds, and our ears for the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher. Lord, we do live in anxious times. And so, Lord, I pray that you might teach us about this spiritual fruit of peace Lord, not that we might just know about it intellectually, but we will experience it, that we'll have peace in our hearts and in our lives. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We live in an age of anxiety. What makes you anxious? 
What makes you worry? What leaves you with a feeling of unease and maybe even fear? Questions like, do I have enough money to pay all my bills this month? Am I raising my kids right? Do they have the right friends? What if my car breaks down? Will I ever be able to retire? What am I going to do with all this school debt? Is the earth going to just keep warming up into oblivion? What if I'm eating too much sugar? Now aspartame's bad for me. What if I get robbed? What if my spouse stops loving me? What if my friends betray me? Is everyone sufficiently anxious now? <laughs> we live in an anxious age. How can we possibly find the peace that surpasses all understanding? It's my contention that much of our anxiety, worry, and fear has to do with where we put our faith or where we put our trust. If we put our faith in wealth, we will be anxious that we could lose it. If we put our faith in health, what happens when our body begins to break down? If we put our faith in security, fear will begin to set in as soon as we feel threatened. The trick of finding freedom from anxiety and worry is putting our faith in the right things, in the right place. One of my favorite stories of faith occurred at the Niagara Falls, New York, at the end of the 19th century. There was a famous tightrope walker at the time named Blondine who came to Niagara Falls. He attended, intended to walk across the tightrope that was strung up above the falls. It was over 150 feet high, 1,800 feet across. Thousands and thousands of people gathered there to see the famous Blondine walk across the tightrope. Needless to say, if one misstep, it meant certain death. So the Niagara Falls were the most powerful waterfall in North America. Thousands of people came out to watch him, including this English prince. And the English prince really wanted to meet Blondine. And so someone introduced him, and they shared a few moments of small talk. And then Blondine asked the prince, he says, do you think that I can carry somebody on my back as I walk across the tightrope above the falls. And the English prince confidently said, oh yes, absolutely, certainly you can do it. And Blondine says, then get on. <laughs> and the prince, of course, said, oh no, 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 not me. I, I believe somebody else can get on your back and go across the falls. And so then Blondine turned to his manager and said, would you like to ride on my back across the falls. And much to everyone's surprise, he said yes. And Blondine walked across the tightrope with his manager on his back, 1,800 feet across successfully. Now why did his manager willingly put his life in danger, riding on Blondine's back as he walked across the tightrope? Because the manager believed he could do it. He had faith in him. He trusted he could get him from one side to the other safely. That's faith. And so I ask you, what will bring you peace as you walk across the tightrope of your life? Who 
you trust to get you across safely from one side to the other? Who's going to keep you steady in the storms of life? Because whatever you choose to put your faith in will be directly correlated to how much peace you have in your life. Our text today comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Now, when I read our scripture today, I know what some of you are thinking as Paul talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. You all were thinking, oh, Paul, he's probably sitting on a beach in the Mediterranean Sea. He's got a Palestinian pina colada with a little fancy umbrella just chilling there. He's watching the, like, the fishing boats just kind of tranquilly like, float on by. Not the case. In fact, in this letter to the church in Philippi, he goes on again and again telling them, I wish I was with you. I wish I could give you a hug. I wish we were together in person. But I can't. Do you know why? Because he was in prison. Paul's in jail. Paul's just like us. He's got cares and concerns and worries and fear. Right before the passage I read to you today, he's admonishing two women who are leaders in the Philippian church, telling them to get along. Serve the people, lead the people. Paul's worried about his life. He's worried about his physical security. We know he will eventually be martyred. He's got constant money problems. He's got problems with his followers who continually try to follow false teachers. He has trouble with friends who betray him. Paul is like us. His life is full of trouble, frustrations, let down, what they used to call woe. And Paul says that despite the troubles of life, we can find and experience peace. Peace is a critical theme in the Bible. The word peace occurs over 330 times in our Old and New Testaments. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means harmony, well-being, prosperity. In the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is irene. That's where we get the word irenic. Every New Testament epistle or letter, except 1 John and James, concludes with a salutation that includes peace. Again and again, the Bible refers to God as the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The capital of Israel, Jerusalem, it's Jeru Shalom, the city of peace. In fact, one commentator I read said, salvation itself can be referred to as finding peace. And this all stands in direct contrast to the Greco-Roman worldview that didn't emphasize or practice peace. Ironically, in fact, the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, was only secured through brutality and violence. This is what Paul In his words, we call the works of the flesh. He says that out there in the world, it's a world full of competition, conflict, and violence. It's not very different than what Thomas Hobbes wrote in the 16th century in his magisterial book, Leviathan, where he talks about the state of nature. He says the condition of man is a condition of war of everyone against everyone, in which case everyone is governed by his own reason. And there is nothing he can make use of that may not be a help unto him in preserving his life against his enemies. Quite a vision for human life. It's a war of everyone against everyone. 
And this might come as a surprise to you, but the Apostle Paul describes our world in a very similar way. He says that sin has had this effect. The human willfulness and rebellion to God's ways has caused a world full of conflict, disruption, violence. In Romans 8, he describes it this way, Paul does. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Literally, is at war with God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. He's saying before we put our faith and our trust in God, we are at war with God and we don't even know it. And this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. If we put anything else other than God in the place of primacy in our lives, if we worship anything other than God, it will only try to crush us. Whatever that is, material possessions, wealth, fame, our family, power, whatever it might be, it's only going to bring us anxiety, worry, and fear because what we have there, we're going to be worried that we can't get more of it or that we'll lose what we already have. And the modern world is basically designed for us to have a sense of anxiety. And that's where the good news of the Christian gospel comes in. It says your fundamental identity as a beloved child of God, the story of your life, the reality of which you live in the backdrop of our world, this is not a war against all, everyone against everyone. It's that the God has spoken to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And trusting in that reality and that truth will offer us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Because this peace is God's fundamental intentions for the world, for the cosmos. That's why the Hebrew word shalom describes the all-encompassing universal intentions that God has for all of creation. Shalom. I love how the Yale philosopher and theologian Nicholas Walterstorff de defines shalom in his book, Until Justice and Peace Embrace. He writes, to dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God, to enjoy living in one's physical surroundings, to enjoy living with one's fellows, to enjoy life with oneself. Enjoyment, peace, shalom, enjoyment with God our neighbors, with ourselves. And I love what Paul writes, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He says that this peace surpasses all understanding. If you believe and trust in the good news of Jesus Christ, that what God has done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, you will have peace. Why does it surpass all understanding? This is because it's a belief that what philosophers call a, a direct or a basic belief. It's beyond rationalization. It's just like stepping on to a tightrope. We believe it. And because we believe it, it begins to transform us from the inside out. And it will protect our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, it gives us a faith that is intellectually credible and existentially fulfilling guards our hearts and our minds, that God has wrapped us so tightly in God's arms that we can never escape the love of God no matter what. I love 
that Jesus, in some of his last words to his disciples before he was to leave them, they were quite worried. They were scared, feeling anxiety. And listen to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I've said, I've said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And Christ comes to offer us peace in a world that desperately needs it. And some of you might ask, I don't feel that peace. I don't experience peace. I'm feeling a lot of worry and anxiety. And Paul says, pray. With thanksgiving, bring your requests, your supplications to God. Pray. Some of you might say, I'm still not <laughs> feeling that peace. And you may have heard, fake it till you make it. I say, faith it till you make it. That sometimes we, we have to just step out on the tightrope. And in the stepping, one step after the other, we will in the end begin to feel that peace that surpasses all understanding. And so I conclude with a story about a man named Hiru Anoda. Hiru Anoda received special training as a Japanese Imperial Army Intelligence Officer. In 1944, he was sent to the Philippine island of Lubang to engage and resist the enemy. At the time, he was 20 years old. Six months later, after he'd been sent to this island, Japan surrendered. Hiro heard the news, but he believed it was propaganda. And so he remained hiding on the island for the next 29 years. He refused to believe that the war was over. And so from time to time, he would carry out raids against the Filipino people. He murdered 30 people, injured over 100, and time to time, he would burn their crops of these Filipino farmers. One day, though, Anoda's secret camp was discovered. And so they sent Major Tanaguchi, Onoda's commander from 29 years before, to tell him the war was over. Anoda was stunned. And he said, what have I been doing all these years? And then looking back, he spoke of that time saying, suddenly everything went black. A storm raged inside me. I felt like a fool. Gradually though, the storm subsided. I pulled back the bolt on my rifle and unloaded the bullets. I eased off the pack that I always carried with me and laid the gun on top of it. Onada finally found peace because he finally believed and trusted that the war is over. And just like Onoda, I'm here to tell you the war is over. Lay down your arms. We don't need to fight anymore. The war is over. Your sins are forgiven. You have been reconciled to God and Jesus Christ. Go live that peace out. It is the peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this peace that you promise us. Lord, we do live in anxious times. 
And so I pray that we might trust in you and that by trusting our very lives to you, we might feel the fruit of your spirit, that fruit of peace. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.